By the age of 17, Karch Karai and his best friend John Henley were well-versed in using a hanger to maneuver locked gymnasium doors that stood between them and getting in some extra work with their volleyball teammates at Santa Barbara High School in California. Built in 1926 by noted architect L.A. Smith, the historic Granada Theater in downtown Santa Barbara just so happened to have the same type doors. And so it was on December 14, 1977, the Granada was premiering a movie about a visitor from outer space. It was the follow-up directorial effort of Steven Spielberg to his blockbuster hit movie Jaws. Karch and his teammates, excited to see the movie, found the side door at the Granada and Karch went to work with his trusty hanger, triggering the door open. Only after the boys had entered and scattered did Karch find out he was in for a close encounter with security. I'm a Venice, California-born, Los Angeles-based sports fan. One that has played, coached, announced, and promoted sports my whole life. My love affair with sports started in my own backyard and has led me to this podcast. Thanks to the support of the Amateur Athletic Union in East Bay, I'm excited to bring you Sports Stories with Denny Lennon. Hello, sports historians. Welcome to audio video podcast episode number 40 of Sports Stories with Denny Lennon, the second of our five-part series on the greatest volleyball player of all time and the head coach of the USA Women's National Team, Karch Karai. Yes, friends, it's week two of a Karai July. I must say I did some good old journalistic legwork to get that story on Karch. My thanks go out to John Hanley for the backstory. I think we will let Karch finish that story during the interview. Now it's time to say hello to the producer of the top video podcast in the Sentinel Adobe Corridor, the director of the SSDL5 slate of shows on YouTube, and the assistant coach of the 2000 Los Angeles Catholic Youth Organization Girls Basketball Championship Team, my QP, Christine Jimbo. Hello, everybody. Uh, I'm here to remind you to get to our website, sportsstoriespodcast.com. I'm also uh, letting you know that we have our East Bay store on our website. So you can go there, get your favorite muscle tea, get some <laughs> fun sports stories uh, with Denny Lennon uh, t-shirts and gear. We also, uh, sponsored by East Bay, have the 7428 shootout. That's right. Now, we do. this is a really cool thing. You got to go to Twitter. You got to get a Twitter account to get it. But there's a really fun shootout competition that benefits charity. And so we want as many people to vote and uh, to follow at Sports Stories DL. Mm-hmm. That's right. All our social media links are available on sportsstoriespodcast.com. My Twitter, as mentioned, at Sports Stories DL. Little update as we go to uh, record our intro for this. This will be published Thursday. We'll already have a result, but you know, people got to know. So I'm just going to say it. Scott Rice, uh, known as the Girl Dad, is holding a 75% to 25% lead over Carlos Haro of wow. Casablanca Restaurant. However, Carlos seems- really hasn't got his um, charity going quite yet. His charity is. Concern Foundation, I believe. Concern Foundation. And once he gets them mobilized, things could turn. Still got a day and a half to make it happen. I don't know. That seems pretty insurmountable. 75 to 25%. But if he gets gets the votes going, you know, he can close it down. How many more days to vote? A day and a half. Oh, boy. A day and a half. We will see. A little over 24 hours. 
In this second installment, Cart will fill you in on that break-in at the Granada. He'll talk about his start playing beach volleyball with his dad and then graduating to Better Partners, how he chose UCLA, and when he first got his taste of international competition. I say let's get to it. It's time for part two of our five-part Karai July from the USA Volleyball National Team Center in Anaheim, California. Here's our Sports Stories interview with the greatest volleyball player ever, Karch Karai. Please note this interview was recorded on January 17th, 2020. Your dad, um, I, I think I talked to somebody, they said one of the things I'd hear across the beach was, was it rise and think? Yes. Is that, is that, was that an instruction that, and that <laughs> my dad makes had a, a whole lot of a sense though. Uh, yeah, my dad had some great sayings and you, he was very vocal on the court. So that led me to be pretty quiet because I let him do all the talking. Okay. But one of them you would hear would be, rise and think, in, in his uh, Hungarian accent, or jump and hit that ball, Karch. And so um, uh, it was great Beautiful. because he was a good player, and we played together for about four years. And much of that time, obviously, I'm just this string bean of a little kid, 11, 12, 14 years old. So the other team in beach volleyball, the beauty of it is, there's only two players on each side. So if you and I are playing and you're, uh, somebody looks at you or looks at me, I'm a tiny little kid, and they think, oh, he's the weaker player, well, we'll serve him because he'll make the first contact, he'll pass, his partner will set, and then he'll have to hit. So they forced me to carry a huge offensive load. Sure. And a time when I was 11 and 12 where I couldn't even hit down. I'm just hitting it up but trying to find with finesse shots mm -hmm. and control shots, try to find a way to get it to the to the sand. So um, those were, uh, in retrospect, as challenging as it was, it was really good for me and my development. I understand there was something else exciting happened in Santa Barbara in 1977. Mm -hmm. It was a premiere on the, on the West Coast, it sounds like, of the movie Close Encounters. And, and I don't know, I talked to John Hanley about this. He said a few of you decided that you could make it into this premiere. Do you remember this at all? Um, you're going to have to remind me. Apparently about five or six of you, probably your buddies on yeah. the high school team, Yeah. Uh, found a way in through one of the doors. Okay. I think a hanger was involved. Yeah. And um, <laughs> and once you got in, you realized that the theater was uh, full. Was full. <laughs> you're, you're reminded. And everybody me. scattered. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember the rest of this? Uh, no. Tell me the rest. Apparently, uh, everybody found a seat but you. Okay. And um, as security was coming, you made a you made a... John Wilkes Booth kind of leap off the balcony in order to, <laughs> to, to, to but luckily he didn't break your leg. <laughs> um, well, the, the best part of that story is the hanger part of that story because John and I and our teammates, but especially John Hanley and I, um, were obsessed with this sport. We just fell in love with it and we're trying to figure out every way that we could to be good at it, both on the beach mm -hmm. and indoors. Two on two on the beach, six on six indoors. And so God, John got to be particularly skilled with a coat hanger. And so we got to know <laughs> all the gyms around uh -huh. California. Oh, there it is. Because okay. the typical exit to a gym, you hit the bar, you push yep. the bar, and you move out. So if you can get from the outside, if you can get a coat hanger over that handle, 
pull it towards you, Classic. you open it right up. Solid. We were not there to vandalize or to do nope. damage. What we were there to do is just break in to play volleyball. Mm -hmm. So we figured out Understood. how to break in to Santa Barbara City College, <laughs> to the Boys and Girls Club, to, any, to Santa Barbara High School. And then, and we got kicked out a lot, but we would just say, <laughs> "Love it." Oh That's well, we just thought that it was open gym because we would turn on the lights, set up the nets, the whole thing, and then we would say, "Well, the the door was just open, the lights were on, the nets were up, <laughs> and we thought it was yeah. open gym, so we're just playing." It. Uh, and and then so they wouldn't give us any trouble. They'd just say, "You know, get out. It's not open." But we figured out how to break into gyms all around Santa Barbara. <laughs> That's and John was the master with the coat hanger. So <laughs> That's good. Um, one of his that many great skills. <laughs> and so it's actually cool that we're talking now yeah. because in just a few weeks, uh, Santa Barbara has um, – uh, it's, it's like an unofficial Santa Barbara Beach Holly, uh, Hall of Fame. Okay. Uh, Beach Volleyball Hall of Fame. The organization is actually called the FOEBA, Friends of East Beach okay. Association. And it originally started because uh, several years ago, one of the all-time greats, Henry Bergman, passed away. Mm -hmm. And people in Santa Barbara just said, hey, we have to honor him. You know, uh, let's have a tribute to him. And so part of that tribute is they raised some funds to actually uh, rename and give a permanent marking on East Beach and change one of the main courts there to the Henry Bergman oh, Court. Oh, nice. And there's a sign on there and everything. And so they've had a few other dedications. Oh, one nice. was to Kathy, Kathy Gregory and Kathy mm -hmm. Hanley as one of the great beach teams of all time. And John will have, uh, in a few weeks, will have a court dedicated to him. Excellent. He's the next one who's going oh, uh, to be recognized. Rightfully so, not because of his <laughs> not because of the hanger skills. his hang his wire hang <laughs> coat hanger skills, but because of his great uh, indoor yeah. and especially his beach volleyball skills. And he, sp he spoke um, about uh, John when I was talking to him. He, he talked about his sister Kathy bringing yeah. him to the beach, and then you were playing down there with your dad, and somehow yeah. that's how you guys got together. What made you um What made you choose uh, UCLA, Karch? Um, let's see, a couple of things. Number one. Uh, very few people talk to me um, about going to their school. Hmm. So either they weren't interested in me or they somehow figured out that I already had interest in UCLA mm. and, and backed off or didn't express interest. So I really only talked to Al Skates, UCLA, mm -hmm. and Ernie Hicks with USC. Those were the two okay. schools I had conversations with. Uh, interested in going to a good school and a good volleyball program, and both of those offered that. Uh, but Al had done a lot of winning as the other wizard of Westwood and yeah. ended up with 19 national titles. Unbelievable. Um, I got to be a part of three of them. But um, you know, so what, I think the other thing was just talking to Ernie Hicks. They had one of the all-time great setters, at the time, US okay. USA, eventually USA setters in Dusty Dvorak. Oh, right. okay. They were running a one-setter offense, and Ernie was expressing a lot of interest in continuing to run that offense. As I was coming out of high school, I was both a setter and a hitter, mm -hmm. uh, more of what you would call people today call a 6-2 offense or a two-setter offense. Mm -hmm. and, and Al, meanwhile, had been running a 6-2 for a long time, okay. and there was uh, good timing because one of their great players, Dave Albright, had just 
mm. graduated. And so there was a spot open. He didn't promise it to me, but certainly he said, you have the chance to contend for this spot. Mm. Uh, and the other spot was Sinjin Smith. And so uh, if I could win that, I could set a two-setter offense and run it with one of the all-time great yeah, players, Sinjin, one of the all-time great beach players. And so it just seemed like a better opportunity. Um, and Al is a, uh, a really charismatic, magnetic personality and also a superb coach. Mm -hmm. And so um, it wasn't that difficult a decision to, to decide to go to UCLA, and I'm still very happy that I did. Did you feel any of the leftover buzz from three years earlier, Coach Wooden being there and that basketball program? Was there any kind of like – because I know Coach Skates and, and Coach Wooden had a relationship. Um, did not feel a lot of buzz. I think what, um, if, if anything I noticed with UCLA is it's really hard to be the coach or coaches who come after, after. John Wooden. And so the team was still really good, mm -hmm. but not on the level of coach Wooden. Um, and so, you know, they're still struggling today to become a yeah. consistent top 10 in the country team. And they were... Once John Wooden, and people don't realize how long it took him, he was there for many years yeah, before they broke years. through. It wasn't yeah. just, boom, he gets there and right away they start winning. They had to go through true. a lot of tough times and they a lot did. of learning himself, his coaching staff, and all of his players. So uh, there wasn't that much in the way of Wooden. Later on, I would get more exposure to Wooden because you mentioned Al and mm. Coach Wooden had a relationship. But another person who developed a really uh, close relationship was Marv Dunphy because he mm -hmm. did his dissertation on John Wooden and his coaching yeah, methods. Yeah, read some of that. Yeah. And uh, so Marv interviewed him. Basically, he still has the tapes, really valuable things to have now, yeah. but he still has the tapes, a whole series of tapes that he transcribed and then turned into his dissertation. dissertation but that's a really yeah. special that time is. that Marv would talk about as uh, those times he got to share with Coach Wooden and the process of creating the interviews and the, and the dissertation itself. I've, um, <clears throat> okay, so if I'm correct, 124 and 5 was your years. Yes. And three titles. Yes. I'd like, uh, do you know how uh, Walton did? Because you, your was the golden era, let's say, yeah. of UCLA volleyball, and you just had finished the golden era of, of basketball. Well, and I you, think you, at you, one point UCLA's men's team won 88, 88 in a row, row or something, so they probably were uh, better than our 20, 124 It's and very five. close cards. It's really interesting. Like Walton was 86-4 and four, and Alcindor 88-2. and two. Yeah. Those percentages are pretty close to yours. But I was going to give you a little quiz. You, could, could you tell me who has the best? In Division One sport basketball, overall record, and it's a UCLA player. Um, is it a male player? Uh -huh. Okay. Um, and he was of that era. Keith Erickson, Larry Farmer, Larry Farmer, and eighty-nine and one. Wow, isn't that crazy? And the numbers are lower because a lot of people forget that freshmen were not even eligible Correct. to participate. So now. You hear a lot of one and done. People play one year and they go to the NBA. That's right. Well, in that time, you didn't even get to do anything. Yeah. And I remember one year, the freshman team mm -hmm. beat the undefeated eventual <laughs> national <laughs> that's, champion that's team. That's correct. 
That's when correct. they played yeah. a scrimmage early in the year, that's how good this freshman team. And they were the defending team. champs. They would go yes. on to go undefeated. And they beat. Yeah. And that's that, that was their only was loss, but it didn't count on their record because it was an intra-squad scrimmage. That's so, so crazy. We interrupt this podcast to bring you a commercial. Sports Stories with Denny Lennon aims to bring its subscribers interesting, unique, and uplifting stories. You can find us at sportsstoriespodcast.com. We drop audio, video podcasts every Thursday and go live at 5 on YouTube four nights a week. That's Sports Stories with Denny Lennon. And now back to our interview. Um, Al Skates, I, I heard him um, talk a little bit this one time, and I guess you might have been on the national team maybe as early as 79 or something, and he spoke about uh, going to Japan for a game, but, and you played on the concrete. Do you yes. remember this? Um, yes. That's wild. Uh, uh, in those days, um, the regulations in college volleyball were different than they are now. So um, now you have certain periods where you can train and compete and all that, and you're limited to 20 hours a week. Mm-hmm. And then you have periods where you have no time, mm-hmm. and then you have periods where you get eight hours a week. Well, in those days, there were no limitations at all. So the first day of school at UCLA was the first day of practice. Okay. And we would practice five days a week, and we would lift, and we would do everything else. I'm lucky again that there were no limitations because it made for more Mm -hmm. uh, time for all of us to develop as players and physically. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we had a really long season. But Al would break it up by um, he started taking us on foreign trips. We went to one to Taipei for a tournament in Taiwan and another one in, um, I think it might have been in maybe January of, oh, 81, maybe before my junior year, we went to a tournament in, or a series of matches in Japan. Mm -hmm. And it's a really memorable series to those of us who participated because um, we played against four different university teams, okay. and then the fifth match was a match against their university all-star or all-American team. Okay. And so when we got over there, um, the I think we struggled in the first match. We might have lost that one uh, just because, you know, we're barely off the plane. Just get off the plane. Played, yeah. a, played a good team. They They certainly were better than us than we were that day. Uh, but after that match, uh, there was some talk amongst the Japanese, like, "Oh, we feel sorry for these this American this UCLA team. They're going to get killed if they lost to that team. Uh-huh. Most of the teams are going to be better." Um, but we went on. I guess two things stand out. Number one, we just kept getting better and better and better, and so we won against the other three existing college teams. And uh, then we get to the final match, and we played in the same gym that the Tokyo Olympic Games were held in on a concrete floor. It was it was enclosed? It was enclosed. But a concrete floor. A concrete what floor. The heck? And so it was amazing to play in the same venue, sure. getting goosebumps again, uh, as the birthplace of Olympic of indoor volleyball. Sixty four. Which we're in the year twenty twenty where we're gonna Coming go back. Th- where the Olympics goes back for the first time. That's but awesome. the Japanese brought indoor volleyball into the Olympics. They did. For both men and women. So mm-hmm. a lot of people don't know it, but that was the first women's team sport to enter oh. the Olympics before soccer, 
before softball, before basketball, Terrific. before okay. rugby, field hockey, anything. Volleyball was the first So that would have been a thrill to be sport. in that venue. So it was a thrill to be in that venue. Um, we start out the match, and we're getting killed. It's freezing in there because they <laughs> don't believe in a lot of heat. There's a real Spartan kind of warrior attitude about it. Mm -hmm. The guys on the bench have their sweats on and our sweats on, the guys on the court, because it's so cold. You could see your breath in there. <laughs> and if a guy had, you know, less hair, you would, it, like, you would just see steam coming <laughs> off the, the head. So we get killed like the first one, 15-2. Next one, it's closer. Uh, but Al, I just, I'll never forget, just he never relented in terms of his uh, belief that we could win this match and we were supposed to get killed. And so we chip away, we chip away, we start blocking them, we start blocking them. This is side out volleyball. But right. in the fifth one, we stuffed him probably 11 times and beat oh, him 15 wow. to 2. Well, he, he says the was spark was, was, was you actually diving on the concrete, yeah. making a play. And then getting up and putting that ball away and everybody like just fed off of that, you know, that you went ahead and laid out on the concrete and now it's time to go. That was, uh, so yeah, um, really fun series and fun to get to see uh, how the rest or some part of the rest of the world would do it. Uh, it's a real eye opener to see great players playing a very different style of volleyball than we played. Sure but a great clash. And then the other thing I remember from that, from that trip was we were having some struggles in serve-receive. And so at first we just started doing it a little because I was still in this two-setter offense. And so in the front row, I helped pass a little, but uh, I would start backing up and covering for somebody else. And so then Al kind of liked that. And he was like, yeah, you know what, Karch, why don't you take more and more and more court? And wow. so... Eventually, that led to, with USA, our two-passer formation. Because Al was where, your coach. Uh, yeah. Well, you, Al wasn't my coach with USA, but, but I had mean, had a ton that time. of experience taking, oh, uh, wow, being a receiver of serve. He encouraged me and encouraged us to have our best passers basically poach, take a huge area. And that prepared me really well for USA yeah. because we eventually went to a strictly two-passer formation. Before there was jump-spin serving, you couldn't do that in these Not days. today. But now, concurrently, what was interesting at UCLA, you were playing in a lot of beach tournaments. And, yeah. um, and, and Al encouraged this, was okay with it, coached yeah. skates you out. Yeah. Well, he had a history of lots of great beach volleyball sure. players there. Um, Mike Norman, Jim Mengus, mm -hmm. uh, Kirk Kilgore. I mean, I'm... Uh, yeah, you're forgetting there, some, there's, but there's, there's a ton. A ton. So I think Al loved it because now his guys are playing year-round. They're playing beach all summer, and when they get to school, UCLA starts a little later on the quarter system, but mm -hmm. they get to school in September. And from day one, they're back indoors, and they have a whole long lead-up to the season, which starts in – the competitive season starts in January. Finish in May, right back to beach. And so I think he loved the fact that guys were touching a ball and playing the game they uh, – uh, two different versions of the game they needed to play and uh, giving their bodies a break in the summertime on the softer sand. So yeah. it's a nice change and, uh, and and good for their health. Now, you certainly got a lot of uh, repetitions coming into playing beach um, from East Beach, but I would imagine once you got to uh, Los Angeles, and is that, is that where you and Sinjin decided to go ahead and play yeah. in some tournaments? Yeah. And uh, that's a formidable pair, but you're still young enough that the older veterans, I'm sure, are looking to beat you guys. 
for sure. <laughs> um, uh, going back a little, I just want to give my dad some credit for one of the great gifts he, get, he gave me. When we were um, playing, I was 11, uh, all the way up till about 15, mm-hmm. we were a team. And I couldn't think of it any other way. But at some point, and we never played in opens. We, uh, some people would enter the Manhattan Open just to say, I lost 15-1 to Ron Von Hagen or Jim Mengus, or I dug, or I got hit in the face by Ron <laughs> Von Hagen yeah. or Tom Shamalas. We didn't want to enter just to enter and get beat like a drum. So um, we wouldn't enter. We would go watch some of them, but we would never enter. And then the Santa Barbara Open was coming up, a great local player, he wasn't a triple-A player, but he was a very good local player named Rich Payne, asked me to play. And this is the first time I had to think about, well, wait a minute. I've only, the only guy I've ever played with is my dad, and wow. I don't know what to do. So I go to my dad, uh, Laz, and just say, okay, you know, uh, Rich has asked me to play. What, what should I do? And, um, yeah, it's a... Uh, really special gift. He's ju- he just said, you know what, Kurt, you're getting way too good for me. Um, <laughs> you need to you need to move on. If you were to stay with me, you would hold back your development. So you need to play with Rich. Played with Rich. We had a great tournament. There were a number of uh, amazing matches. We were unseated and beat, wow. beat some teams and play, eventually played Mengus and Lee, the best team on the, uh, at that time in beach volleyball. And, uh, and it was an incredible experience, but it, it happened because my dad encouraged me to move on. So then we go forward yeah. to playing with Sinjin. Um, so then I started moving on to partners, and one year I asked Sinjin to play, um, but I was still a pretty scrawny kid and not anything uh, that might at first glance impress somebody as somebody who could win opens um but and so sinjin was committed to playing with his brother andrew that season and i played with uh, some other people but eventually we both realized and i I approached him again and like yeah we could be a good team and so we won every tournament we played that year we we won a ton so that was uh 1979 and uh and he's you know uh, to get to play with Sinjin, one of the all-time greats in beach volleyball, was phenomenal, and I got to play with many others along the way, like Mike Dodd and Tim Hovland and Ken Steffes and Adam Johnson and Mike Lambert and and uh, my and uh, Kevin Wong and and the list goes on. Sports Stories with Denny Lennon is supported by the AAU. Find a local event and join at aausports.org. And remember, you can catch your favorite amateur sports live stream, replays, and highlights at BallerTV.com. Sports Stories, along with East Bay, supports the Heroes Movement, a nonprofit that bridges the gap from mental or physical therapy to getting strong again through strength and conditioning workouts. This free service is available for any veteran of the United States Armed Forces. Visit HeroesMovementUSA.org for more information. Sports Stories, along with thousands of people across the country, also supports the My Stuff Bags Foundation, a nonprofit that provides traumatized children with new belongings and new hope. Learn more at MyStuffBags.org. Sports Stories with Denny Lennon is a production of Sports Stories, Inc. and is available on Apple Podcasts and YouTube or wherever you listen and watch. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and give us a review. It really helps spread the word. 
can find all our social media links, archives, and other info on our website at sportsstoriespodcast.com. Special thanks to the John R. Wooden Course and Wooden's Wisdom. Original music for Sports Stories is courtesy of Lennon Music Productions. Original images by Sienna Lennon Photography. Sports Stories is produced by Christine Jimbo and Marley Rice. Sports Stories is edited by Bob McCall. Additional staff include Ray Castro, Teresa Dolan, Jake Downey, Carlos Haro, and Buck Magic Lennon. What a day for a daydream. A custom made for a daydreaming boy. And I'm lost in my daydream. A dream about my bundle of joy. But don't you know I gotta be back at five. Sports Story comes on YouTube, it's live. And you can come watch it anytime you like. What a day for a daydream. Check it out, book.